February 18th. And now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative will come from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 through 30. Some assist the servant. You'll remember, last time we were together, we began by telling you that some resist the servant. Well, here, some assist the servant. The crowds were so large that Jesus had to empower his disciples to help him in ministry. There is a job for everyone, even if only giving him a little boat to use. If you want to assist him, remember that the most important thing is being with him. As he said, without me, you can do nothing. You may recall when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. There were those even there who assisted him. Presumably, he was buried with that stone rolled across his grave. Jesus had to wait for them to warm up the pitch, which of course had hardened by that time. They had to warm it up so it would become liquefied again, so they could wipe it away and then roll the stone away. The Bible doesn't tell us how long that uh, process took. We can imagine it took at least a couple of hours while the crowd stood around and while Jesus waited for those who were assisting him to remove that stone. The principle here is, of course, that Jesus, who alone can save, does not choose to save alone. He allows us to assist him. And then there are some mistrust also. Some mistrust the servant. Mary bore other children after the birth of Jesus, but they did not believe in him. Even his mother seemed to have doubts about her very popular son who was arousing the anger of the leaders. But Jesus was doing the will of God, and so should we. And with that, let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. February 18th, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went out to the lake followed by a huge crowd from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far away as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him for themselves. Jesus instructed his disciples to bring around a boat and to have it ready in case he was crowded off the beach. There had been many healings that day. As a result, many sick people were crowding around him, trying to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, they would fall down in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! But Jesus strictly warned them not to say who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he selected twelve of them to be his regular companions, calling them apostles. He sent them out to preach, and he gave them authority to cast out demons. These are the names of the twelve he chose. Simon, he renamed him Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When Jesus returned to the house where he was staying, the crowds began to gather again, 
and soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him home with them. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law, who had arrived from Jerusalem, said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and said to them by way of illustration, How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom at war with itself will collapse. A home divided against itself is doomed. And if Satan is fighting against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this. You can't enter a strong man's house and rob him without first tying him up. Only then can his house be robbed. I assure you that any sin can be forgiven, including blasphemy. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. It is an eternal sin. He told them this because they were saying he had an evil spirit. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war! If you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war! He says, continuing the quote, There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or rustling of the leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. There is a mean, violent streak to the true Christian life. Now let's very carefully ask, violence against whom or what? Not other people, not other people, not other people, not Muslims, not Hindus, not Buddhists, not atheists, not secularists, not nominal Christians. Not wives or husbands or children or ordinary bosses. But on every impulse in our soul to be violent to other people. Violence, a mean streak in Christianity. Against our own selves. And all in us that would make peace with sin and a settling in peacetime mindset. And we make war on that in us. It's a violence against all lust in ourselves. All enslaving desires for food, caffeine, sugar, chocolate, alcohol, pornography, 
money, the praise of man, approval of others, power, fame. This is our enemy. This is where we make war. It is a violence against all racism in our souls, all sluggish indifference to injustice in our souls, a violence against all indifference to poverty and indifference to abortion in our souls. Did you know that in the warfare of Romans, Satan doesn't show up until chapter 16? of spiritual warfare as this this little thing where you find some way to pray or some way to lay hands on or some way to do a, a Satan thing. Well, that's important. Believe me, that's important. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers of this present darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's important. But you know what? It's not nearly as important as this. Because the only foothold Satan has in your life is your flesh and your sin. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason we go to hell is sin. Much more important than fighting Satan is fighting sin. This warfare in verse 13 is vastly more important than figuring Satan out. Get that. My biggest enemy is not Satan. My biggest enemy is John Piper. And he's the only reason I'll go to hell. Not Satan. Satan, you don't have nearly that kind of power. And therefore, I really care about us learning how to do this battle. Christianity is not a settle in, live at peace with the world the way it is religion. Like most Christians live their daily lives. Verse 13. If by the Spirit you kill. There's a mean streak in Christianity. And it's not against anybody else but ourselves. In fact, it's against the meanness of ourselves against other people. If you feel like you're a mean person against others, a harsh person, a critical person, you know your problem? You haven't learned to make war. You haven't learned to be mean. You haven't learned to get violent against your violence, against your meanness, against your critical spirit. And you complain of it, talk about it, but have you made war? 24-7 against him. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. This psalm shares the wisdom of an old man who had walked with the Lord. He had battled with evil and knew the frustration of seeing the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. As he reviewed the past, he gave some wise counsel to keep us from fretting against the Lord when things are not going the way we want them to go, trust in the Lord. That's the first principle. If you walk by sight and not by faith, well, you'll find it easy to fret. The wicked seem to be prospering, but they will not last. 
Believe what God says in His Word, because that is where you find reality. Second principle is delight in the Lord. Find all your joy and pleasure in His will, knowing His will and doing it. Make Him your delight. And guess what? Your desires will be in His will. Living to please the Lord sets you free from fretting about what men are doing. Next principle is commit your way to the Lord. You'll find all these principles I'm mentioning here in this passage of Scripture today. Commit your way to the Lord. When you trust Him and delight in Him, how could you do anything other than commit your way to Him? Let God guide your steps. Choose your joys. Protect your name. And bless your work. Let God do all of that. It bears repeating. Let God guide your steps. Choose your joys. Protect your name. And bless your work. And then rest in the Lord. Restlessness is an evidence of unbelief. Faith rests in the Lord and enjoys the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. God sometimes waits in answering prayer so that He might strengthen our patience. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11, a Psalm of David. Don't worry about the wicked. Don't envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like springtime flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live in safety in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. He will make your innocence as clear as the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper, or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop your anger, turn from your rage. Do not envy others, it only leads to harm, for the wicked will be destroyed." But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. In a little while, the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. Those who are gentle and lowly will possess the land. They will live in prosperous security. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. The Lord will not let the godly starve to death, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich 